Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. This morning, I want to kick off the new year by talking about a topic we talk about a lot, but we should talk about it more. And we're talking about prayer today. And, and we're going to be doing really focused on prayer for most of the month of January. Um, it, it's fitting that we're in the midst of this fast, we're in the midst of this time of praying and fasting as a community. And I encourage you, it, it, you can jump in today. We still have two weeks, and uh, I would encourage you to be a part of it um, as much as you can. I, I really feel there is, um, there is a, what's the word I'm looking for? There's an alignment that you, that you can receive in this hour that is going to be so helpful for you in this year. And I, and I really believe we're going after corporately, but individually, like we, our heart is that everyone here would thrive in the Lord. And so really that this time of fasting and prayer, it, it really is so that you would thrive in Christ in this coming year. And it really is, our, our heart is that these corporate times of fasting would, would, and prayer would produce these individual times in your life, in your heart of, of prayer and fasting, of connecting with the Lord that would translate into you walking in his will no matter what, into you praying his heart no matter what. And I do feel a real urgency um, for what we're doing right now and, and what God wants to do in our hearts. And so I want to talk this morning about prayer. Um, I'm going to speak specifically about the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to be looking at the Sermon of the Mount, which is Matthew 5 through Matthew 7. And we're going to, I'm going to take you through the Lord's Prayer line by line, and we're going to discuss why did Christ give us this model for prayer. Um, but before I do, I just want to say I, I think prayer is one of the most essential elements of the Christian life. Like I've been shaped personally by prayer more than almost any other practice in my life. And when I was saved at 18 years old, um, some wise people came around me and they said, hey, if you want to really know the Lord, you need to pray. If you, I had a heart for evangelism I, that was built in me right from the beginning. But, but prayer was something that didn't come natural to me. But people told me, if you want to know the Lord, you need to pray. And so I remember even in, you know, in I was doing high school evangelism outreach. I was like 19 years old. And I remember getting my little list. And I had my little list. And anybody I would meet, anybody I felt the Lord drawing me to, I'd put their name on the list. I'd scribble a little bit something to pray about. And I just remember going through that list, you know, every time I could. And, and, and just praying my little weak prayers. I didn't know how to pray. I, I, I was a brand new Christian. And so I would just say, God, like, would you touch Bobby? Would you help him with his math project next week? You know, would you touch... Would you touch Ken? Would, would you, you know, move in his home? God, move in his, in his um, with him and his relationship with his um, siblings. And, and so I would just start, begin to just pray these little simple prayers, right? And then I remember like going a, a month later and I'm reading through this, this prayer journal that I had and I'm just like, God, like you're doing it. Like you're touching these kids. Like you're moving and, and I'm just sitting here just throwing up, you know, simple little prayers and God, you're moving. And so the Lord began to disciple me into the ways of his heart and, and giving me passion and love for the people that he called me to in a way that, that nothing else could have. And so I just want to encourage you. Prayer is how God disciples and shapes you. He shapes you. And it's a daily practice that we're to grow in. And I just want you to start off, if you're just honest with yourself, just think about this. This is a question for you. Did you grow in prayer in 2023? Did your prayer life improve? Were your prayers more, did you have more clarity in your prayers? Did you have more sincerity in your prayers? Did you have more regularity? I'm just going to use arities in, in your prayers. Like, like, how did it go? 
And I don't say that to condemn anybody here, but I say that because my prayer for you and for me is at the end of this year, in 2024, I can look back and say, you know what? I grew in prayer. My prayer life has increased. My fervor has increased. My, my, my intentionality has increased. My discernment of the Lord's heart and ways has increased in 2024 because how many of you know prayer is not really, it's not about being a professional in prayer. Like really, like we're not here to raise up people that are just prayer people. We're here to raise up people that are Jesus people. We're here to raise up people that know the Lord, that hear and connect with his heart. And prayer is just simply communication with you and God. Prayer is a means to Christ himself. It's a means to God. It's a means to knowing his ways. It's a means to being shaped and conformed into his image. And it's a means to shifting and changing the world around you by his spirit through the power of the spirit of God because the kingdom of God wants to advance. And it comes through our prayers it comes through our actions that's the way he's designed it and so I pray that this year that prayer would be just you would grow in prayer that you would grow in your knowledge of God and your impact on the earth Andrew Murray has a great um, a great statement that he makes and uh, he's a great man of God here's what he said he said some people pray just to pray and some people pray to know God I want to do the latter I really don't want our church to be known for prayer. I want our church to be known because that we know Jesus, that we know his heart, that we've connected with him, and prayer is the means for us to get there. So today I'm going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount, specifically the Lord's Prayer, which happens to be in the center of the center of the center of the Lord's Prayer, or of the Sermon on the Mount. The Lord's Prayer is the centerpiece of the Sermon on the Mount, which just so happens to be the most significant sermon ever given in human history, just so happens to be some of the most precious words ever spoken by any human being. The Sermon on the Mount, it's three chapters, Matthew 5 to Matthew 7. It's a hundred so verses, and it's packed through the best teachings of Christ, the greatest teacher in all of humanity, God himself, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, spoke and told his people how to live in the kingdom of God. And we have those words and they're sitting on your iPhone and they're sitting in your Bibles. These are precious words that God wants to draw from today. So we ask Holy Spirit, we want to draw from this sermon that you spoke, that you said to follow, that you said to live by. And we pray that you would highlight this today, Holy Spirit, that we would see it and know it. Martin Luther King Jr. in his autobiography, he said this about the Sermon on the Mount. He said, the first time I read the Sermon on the Mount, it went straight to my heart. I saw the Sermon on the Mount was the whole of Christianity. It is the sermon which has endeared Jesus to me. Martin Luther King Jr. was drawn into Christ by reading the words of Christ, the teachings of Christ through the Sermon on the Mount. It was Jesus' teaching, his introduction into the kingdom of God. He came to the scene he, he came to bear witness to God, and he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he came, and he taught, and he preached, and he healed. And in the midst of his preaching, in the midst of his teaching, he said, the kingdom has come upon you. I'm going to show you how to live, because the kingdom is now here. There's a new era that has come, and I'm going to show you how to respond to the kingdom of God, how to respond to me, the one you've been looking for, who is now here, who's bringing heaven to earth. And so it's, it teaches us how to respond to this kingdom, which is coming and is also now here. If I could give one plug for the Sermon on the Mount, it would be the very last part. If you turn with me to Matthew 7, verse 24, 
Matthew 7, 24. This to me is, is the key for why we should understand the Sermon on the Mount, why we should read it, why should we should internalize it, why we should pray it. Matthew 7, verse 24 says this. Therefore, any, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rains came and the streams rose and the winds blew and they beat against that house, yet it did not fall because he had its, it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the, sa- and the rain came and the streams rose and the wind blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. Let's lean in to hear this teaching from Christ himself, the king of glory, that our lives would be built on the rock, that our prayers would be modeled off his heart. See, so much of the book of Matthew, it's really interesting. If you look into the, especially the early chapters, Matthew is pointing to Christ as the new Moses. He's saying, and, and Christ is way bigger than, than Moses, but he, he's saying to his readers, hey, listen up. The way Moses brought you the old covenant, Christ is now coming. He's forging a new and better covenant. He is the Messiah. He's the God you're looking for. He's the one you've been seeking, and he is here, and his, there's a kingdom that's coming with him, and it's going to advance and grow all throughout the earth. And so Moses, right, Moses is commissioned by God to lead the people of Israel, and what does Moses do? What are his first ways of leading them? Well, he's actually sent up to a mountain, to Mount Sinai, and God brings him up to that mountain, and he gives him the Ten Commandments. He gives him the Old Testament, the covenant for the people of God. That revelation comes to Moses, and he administers this. He teaches the people, how do you follow God? How do you interact with God? How do you live in light of this covenant? So now Christ is on the scene, and in Matthew 5, it says Christ went up to the mountain. He went up to the mountain to sit and to teach. Now, that reference is directly referring, Jewish readers would know, he's talking about Exodus. He's talking, he's giving direct reference to Moses who went to the mountain. But Christ is coming to share a much deeper, much more impactful covenant that he's about to forge with his own blood. And that covenant is not going to renege on the previous one. It's not going to abolish the old covenant. It's actually going to fulfill it. And so Christ says, I'm going to fulfill this covenant. I'm going to come and preach and teach and heal and show you how my kingdom operates. This is massively important for them then and for us now. So if you look at the the Sermon on the Mount, it starts in Matthew 5.1, concludes in Matthew 7 at the very end of the chapter. And there's essentially three sections on it. And I just read to you a portion of it. That section is the very last part. It talks about warnings of the kingdom of God, warnings that there's going to be false prophets. There's going to be those that don't want to obey God. He's warning people about this coming kingdom and how it is going to It's going to bring controversy in the hearts of men. But in the first two sections, he has a few different things to say. In section one, Matthew 5, starting at verse 1, talks about the character of those that live life in the kingdom of God. What is the character for those that call themselves believers, that walk and follow Jesus? And that's where we get the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And he talks about how you are blessed when you operate in these characteristics, the characteristics of his kingdom. And his words challenge his listeners. They're sitting up there saying, what? What, what type of kingdom is this where you're called to be merciful? You're, you're called to be meek. This does not line up with the kingdom as we know it. They're living under Roman oppression. They're living in a life where they're poor and they're downtrodden. They're pushed around. And God's saying, no, there's a bigger kingdom coming. And I want to tell you about it. And if you'll believe my my words if you'll build on this rock you will live life to the full you'll walk with me and you'll fulfill your purpose and call I don't care what environment you're in I want to say to you this morning I don't care what environment you're in I don't care what your life looks like if you're beat down if your work's terrible if you have no income if you if you have no vision I it really doesn't matter if you align yourself with his kingdom and his ways if you agree to follow Christ you will thrive you will have rewards that are beyond this earth and and you'll thrive not only here you'll thrive in the age to come and that's what the kingdom of God is talking about there's an there's an age that is yet to come and you must live by it if you want to live in this age in the present you must live for that age God help us to live for that age help us to see it not get caught up help us to live for the the age to come and so he talks about the Beatitudes, and he talks about how we need to be salt and light, and he talks about how to be a light set on a hill, and, and all these things he's articulated in the Sermon on the Mount. And he gets to Matthew 5, 17, and he starts giving the requirements for living in the kingdom. He starts telling about righteousness. Righteousness is really important in the kingdom of God. And he begins to lay out the Old Testament, and he begins to lay out different things in the law. And in fact, he says, I'm not abolishing these. These things are still in effect. In fact, I'm upping the ante. You can't sin in your heart, not just in your physical actions. You're called to holiness. You're called to righteousness in every way that you live. And he begins to lay these out, the requirements for those in the kingdom. And it's in this section that he talks about these three acts of piety. And, and that's what we're going to read today. We're going to read the three acts of piety that, that Jesus comments on. Our first, giving to the needy. Our second, prayer. And third, fasting. These three areas, there, there, there's, a, there's, a sort of, there's a commonality in what he's sharing. And, and, and it should be noted, I'm about to read, um, you can turn with me to Matthew 6, starting at verse 1. But it should be noted that this whole sermon and many of the points that are in it is an indictment on the religious leaders at that time, the Pharisees. And it's an indictment on them because they were taking the law of God, which is good. The law is good. Jesus didn't abolish it. He fulfilled it. But they were taking the word and they were layering their traditions. They were layering their own personal teachings on it. And they were leading the people astray. And so Christ is coming at them and he's saying, no, they have defamed and defiled what it means to be part of my kingdom, and I'm going to set it straight. And so turn with me to Matthew 6, starting at verse 1. I give you all that context because you're going to see these themes laid out in here. Matthew 6, starting at verse 1, and it says this, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, if you look in the components of this text, 
It's repeated when he talks about prayer. It's repeated when he talks about fasting. They're, they're, there's, uh, they're reflective of each other. And one of the key things Jesus is highlighting is do not give, do not pray, do not fast to be seen by others. Don't do it. The Pharisees are doing that, and their reward, they've already got it. And it ended with the applause of the last person that applauded their great chivalry, their great, their great prayer, their great giving. See, they were living their life for men. And so their reward is what they were living for, the applause of men. And the second that clapped ended, their reward ended. But God's saying, no, you live before me. And he's redefining, even how they see God himself, he's, you live before the Father. And he refers to God as his Father, who sees all things. And so because you live before him, give in secret. Don't give telling everybody else what you're giving. Give in secret because it's to honor him, because you're living for him, not for people. So he uses this phrase, hypocrites, every, in every single section. And he uses this, he has this mention of rewards in each section as well. The rewards you get from living a life before man and rewards you get for living a life before God. And the rewards before God are rewards that are far exceed this life now. And he doesn't go into detail, but it's clear. If you live for God, you will receive rewards that are way bigger, way grander than the applause of men right now in this earth. So if we get to the next section, if you turn with me, I'm just going to keep reading. Matthew 6, starting at verse 5. And now we're talking, he's talking about prayer. And he says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others. But truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. And then the Father, your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Your father, your father, your father. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. You don't have to babble. You don't have to, you, you don't have to go on and on and on. You don't have to try to show other people how holy you are by praying publicly in front of them. You, you pray before your father, and he knows what you need, and he cares for you. And so all these, all, all these external sort of um, posturing that, that, that the Pharisees are doing, this is not helpful. But he also points out the pagans. Now, the pagans at that time, I looked into this a little bit. It's quite interesting. They, here's a pagan prayer life, right? The pagans within their prayers, they are trying to appease the different gods, the different deities. So they're living their life in such a way where they're, they're trying to twist the arm of the gods so that the gods will give them favor, so that the gods will give them the things they want, the things they need. And so they would come and pray in such a way, well, God... See what I did today. Like, like look at how I, I gave you this sacrifice. Would you come and bless me? Would you come and do these things that I want you to do for me? So they babble and go on and on with all these words. And, and Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's, that's not how you pray. The pagans don't, they don't have it. Because you're praying to a father who knows what you need. You're praying to a father whose arm you don't have to twist. He cares about you. He cares and knows the details of your life. You don't have to pray many words. You don't have to pray eloquent words. Pray in secret. Pray with intentionality. Pray from the heart. The primary message he's saying is prayer is from your heart. It's not about these external, worldly type of looking. It's the heart that God's after. It's the heart that he's looking for. And so that's why we pray in secret. And this is not, 
This is not like uh, something against corporate prayer, by the way. It's really about the heart that Jesus is challenging. We should pray corporately. We need corporate prayer. It's biblical. It's important. But there also is a place for secret, private prayer. And, and, it, and it's essential for the life of a believer. So we're going to keep going down, um, looking at verse 6, uh, or, or verse 9, rather. So Jesus is saying, here is why you should pray. And here now he's going to articulate the heart behind prayer. Here's the model. And this, this is called the Lord's Prayer. How many of you grew up saying the Lord's Prayer? Wow, there's a lot of people who grew up. Like, I am so thankful for my Methodist church growing up that ingrained that prayer in my life. And, and sometimes you're praying that thing, you don't even realize what you have. This is the model that Christ gave us to pray. And if you look in Luke 11, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, God, teach us, teach us how to pray. And in Luke 11, you have a pretty close example of this, the Lord's Prayer. He says, here is how you should pray. So I'm going to read it to you. We're going to go through this and take a little bit at a time because this, I, I pray more than anything else this morning, that as we read this, that this would shape your own prayer life, that this would invigorate your own prayer life because God has given you this teaching so that we may know how to pray. And there are precious gems within this prayer. So it's become so familiar, we kind of don't recognize the power of it. You know how that is? Um, all right, so Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Prayer starts with, off with our Father. Our Father. Jesus could have used any word he wanted for God, and he used the word Father. You know, John says, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. By the blood of Christ, by the, this new covenant that Christ was bringing onto the scene, right, was forging with his own, his own blood, meant that you and I can now relate to God as a father. He was modeling it that you and I would follow. And so when we pray, I would encourage you, start your prayers, our father. Pray as a son. Pray as a daughter. Not a servant, not a slave, not, oh, Lord, would you, I hope you care for me. No, there's an assumption that he's a father who cares. That's the assumption of every prayer that you should pray. Our father. And I love he didn't say my father. He said our father because he's inviting you into this covenant that he forged. He's ours, not Jesus's. You know, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, he was a, an amazing theologian, pastor, martyr, he says this, he said, genuine prayer is never good works, an excuse, or a pious attitude. Genuine prayer is always the prayer of a child to a father. That's what prayer looks like. That's what prayer, engaging in prayer, that, that's how we come as children. And Bonhoeffer, he knew a thing or two. He actually, while he was in New York, he studied profusely the Sermon on the Mount. Where do you think he got this? He, he, was in, he was engaged in, up in Harlem in the Sermon of the Mount, and he says, I quote him, he said his, he had true inner clarity and honesty when he began to take the Sermon of the Mount seriously. And how many know that changed his prayer life? 
And that prayer, the prayers that Diedrich Bonhoeffer prayed, probably in this very city, are the prayers that led him back to Germany in the midst of World War II, are the prayers that led him to his own death, to his own martyrdom. But they led him to a purpose and a destiny to say, come, Lord Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done. He prayed the prayers as a son, and it transformed his whole life. It changed the whole trajectory of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and it changed the lives of a lot of people that have followed in his footsteps. But it's because he began to read the Sermon on the Mount and to pray as a son, praise to his father. Matthew 7 and Luke 11, these are verses very close to the scripture I'm reading you today. Both of them, they talk, Jesus is, is continuing to share, and he says, how many of you know how to good, give good gifts to your kids? There are some evil, wicked people in this world, and even they know how to give good gifts to their children. Do you think if you pray for bread, your father will give you a stone? If you pray for a fish, your father will give you a scorpion? No, your heavenly father is good, and he has good things for you. How much more so? Than people that you know on this planet, does your heavenly father have good things for you? And so he's instructing, he's reminding them, God has good things. And in fact, he says, he will pour out his Holy Spirit on you. He will overflow if you ask. That's what we're asking for this morning. God, would you pour out your spirit? He will. Why? As Bill shared, because he's a good and loving father. It's his nature. It's why we pray the way we pray. All right, second part, hallowed be your name. That other way to say that is holy is your name. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The holiness of God, he is separate. He is set apart. He is holy. He is apart from us. When you approach God, you don't, oh, Jesus is my homeboy. No, he's not. He is the king of the universe. Like, you better be careful how you're talking. He's a father and he's good, but he's the king. And he's holy and he's set apart. Even the fact that you can even talk to him. My gosh, like you got to acknowledge who you're talking to. And, and so it's so important in our prayer life, we start with God our Father, and holy are you. God, you are holy. You are righteous. I am not even worthy to be in front of you, but you have made a way that I can be your son, that I can be your daughter. This is how we start prayer. It, we love to pray this way, even on Friday nights. We, the, the, the heart posture is we, we recognize him as Father, and then we begin to declare his holiness, be reminded of who he is. And from that point, then we can bring our intercessions. Then we can bring our proclamations. Then other things can follow. But those two need to start. Those are the first things. And, and there's something connected with the fear of the Lord, I believe, on this. Hallowed be your name. We, Lord God, would you increase us in the fear of the Lord, that we would have a reverence for your name. Even how we approach you, God, it would be different. It would be, not flippantly, but we would come to you humbly, knowing you're holy. The second, or the third part, your kingdom come, your will be done. The tonality, I think, matters in this. You know, it's like, oh, Lord, Lord, your kingdom, your kingdom come, please. Your will be done, please. This is, it's not a pleading. I really believe that this prayer, it's a resounding with what heaven's saying. It's a resolve to say, like, I am, I'm, I'm resonating in my heart with God's heart that his kingdom come. His will be done. There's a forcefulness. There's a, there's a, it's about aligning with what he wants to do. And it, it wars against passivity in our life. It's not a hopeful, God, I hope you come through and you bring your kingdom. No, you will bring your kingdom. Let it be a reflex in our heart that when we pray, there's a certainty, there's a hope, there's an assurance. His kingdom will come. 
His will will be done. And when you pray it like that, it changes how you view the whole world. Like it changes, it creates an urgency in your heart and a participation in what he wants to do and how he wants to do it through you. He wants to do it through you. That's why he had you pray in that way. You know, my kids, they have these little doctor's toys that they like to pray with, pray with, play with. And you know the little thing you hit people in the, in, the, in the knees with? You know, I don't even know. It's like a little triangle thing. They'll come up to me, right? And they'll be like, oh, hey, Daddy, I'm doing doctor. And they'll hit me in the knee with it. And it never really works. I don't even think a doctor works. I just kind of do it. It's kind of like just like a, just to be nice. I kind of do it when the doctor hits me in the knee. But the idea is when that thing hits you in the knee, right, there, there's supposed to be a reaction in that tendon in your knee that shows you that you're actually connected, that your tendons in your, in your leg are fully connected. And I believe that in prayer, we get that tendon reconnected with the Lord, that, 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 that sort of desire and longing to bring his kingdom so that when you pray, it's reconnecting that tissue. It's reminding you why you exist, to stand in the gap between earth as it is and earth how it's supposed to be. And it's supposed to look like his glory, his fullness, his kingdom. Now, what does it mean to, to, for the kingdom of God to be on the earth, right? Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God. Is what does that even mean? The kingdom of God is his rule and his reign. It's his sovereignty. It's his full control. And you'd say, well, Cole, isn't, isn't he sovereign? Isn't he in control? He is, but there is a rule and reign on the earth that is yet to be seen. And Christ has ushered it in, but we are to pray until we see its maturity and its fullness. And it's supposed to be on earth as it is in heaven. Now, in heaven, when God says, let this thing happen, the angels go and, and it's done. It's a done. There is a, there is a quick and... and um, There's no middle ground between what God wants and the manifestation. But here on the earth, he's given the earth to men. He's given the earth to men and to women. And when God says, I want this, man says, I want my kingdom, not yours. When God says, this is my heart, these are my ways, we say, nope, not doing it. There's rebellion in the hearts of men and women, in our own hearts. And so in a sense, the maturity of his kingdom, the fullness of it has not yet been seen because the sons of men, the daughters of men, we have not yet come into full submission to his will. We've not entered into his kingdom the way God designed it. But let me tell you, it's coming when all will see, when, when, when the glory of God will fill the earth like the waters, the sea, when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord in full submission to his will, to his kingdom. That's the reign that we're to pray for. That's the reign that we're believing for, that it would flood the entire earth. See, I think these types of prayers, they keep us from being complacent. They keep us, they, like I said earlier, they war against passivity. And when Christ came, right, in these early chapters of Matthew, he's coming and he's doing three things. He's preaching, he's teaching, and he's healing. He's healing bodies. He's healing minds. He's healing relationships. And so he's doing these things. He's demonstrating this is what it looks like for the kingdom of God to be at hand, to come into its fullness on the earth. So we're to pray in accordance with God's will, in accordance with what Jesus modeled. And in accordance with that, man, it, it, it makes us 
it makes us, uh, it shifts our attitude. It shifts our posture. And when you begin to see sin, you begin to see sickness and death that, that, that's permeating the earth, you actually take a stand against it. And you say, no, that's not God's will. No, that's not God's heart. And you pray with this sense of certainty, confidence, God, your kingdom come. God, your will be done. That's what it means. Pray for the sick. Pray for deliverance. Where Jesus went, the sick were healed. Where Jesus went, deliverances. I mean, the demons ran. They flooded. Now, when we pray that and it doesn't happen, I don't know why that is, but I know that that is what the kingdom of God looks like in its fullness, in its maturity. So I'm going to pray it now. Even if it doesn't happen in front of me, I'm going to pray it until it does because I know it's going to. I'm not going to settle for anything short of that. Nothing short of his kingdom come, his will be done. There's a process, yes, and we need to factor that in, but it is coming. So there's a difference between praying, well, I'll say this. If we're honest with ourselves, right, some of our prayers are not your kingdom come. It's my kingdom come. It's my will be done. Like if you really assess your prayer life, there's a lot of my kingdom come prayers going on. Let's just be honest. I'll, I'll speak for myself. And the, but the Lord, he's so generous, right? You just take time to pray, and God will help you, and he'll, he'll tweak your prayers. Like, how oh, cold. I love that. That's really nice. But that's really still about you. Let's make it more about me. Let's make it more about my kingdom. And he'll begin to correct you if you let him. And he'll begin to shift your prayers and make it about his kingdom coming, his will being done. And you see in the book of Mark, that different people are praying different things, and it's not all about his kingdom. And if you pray things that aren't about his kingdom, he's not going to answer, first of all. Um, but secondly, it's not going to be productive prayer. You're not going to get to know his heart or his ways. So if you look at Matthew, or Mark rather, I'm not going to read it, but Mark 10, you have James and John, and they come to Jesus, and they say, hey, Jesus, like, we have a request for you. And Jesus says, well, what, what, what would you like me to do? And they said, we would like to sit at your left and your right hand. They're praying, my kingdom come. Jesus says, actually, I can't answer that. That's already been preordained. I can't give you that. In the same chapter, blind Bartimaeus, this is like 20 verses later, verse 51, comes to Jesus and says, and Jesus, he says, I have a request for you. Jesus says the same thing. Well, what do you have? Tell me what you need. He says, I want to see. He's blind. And what does Jesus say? Your faith has healed you. Go. Eyes be opened. And his eyes are open. See, he prayed according to God's will, and he, and he got God's will. He got a manifestation of his kingdom. James and John prayed according to their kingdom, and they got, well, you're going to go through a lot of suffering and torture, but I can't give you left or right. <laughs> That's what they got. <laughs> God, I want to pray according to your will, according to your kingdom. All right, we're going to keep going. Give us this day our daily bread, right? Here's the next part. Give us this day our daily bread. Only after the kingdom requests come. Do they then pray, does Jesus instruct us to pray for our daily bread? Isn't that interesting? I think often we would start with our daily, with all of our daily needs, right? And then we get into the kingdom. Now, it's not wrong to pray for your daily needs. I think it's so important that we recognize this. Because some people, they won't even pray for themselves. But this is the model. Pray for your daily You need to live. You need to thrive in order to be Christ's hands and feet on the earth. You should pray that. That's a good prayer. It's a healthy prayer. But pray first, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be the name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Pray that, and then pray for your daily needs. And you'll find, you'll find your life operates in a totally different way. You'll find yourself delivered from selfishness, from introspection. You'll find yourself, you daily meet, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you. 
you seek his kingdom, you'll find your daily needs are met. Pray them, but pray them in the right order. And closing out, it says, forgive us our debts, for we have also forgiven our debtors. <laughs> this is a big one. <laughs> we, we cannot obtain God's work or God's righteousness based on our own work. Amen. Your works can't get you to where you want to be. You, continually in prayers, we have to be asking God, would you forgive me, Lord? We, I, continually in our life, we need to be in a posture of repenting, of confessing. Repentance and confession got you in. Faith in Christ got you in, right? It's by faith through his grace that you got into the kingdom. But every day that you're in his kingdom, you are to ask him to forgive you for the sins of your life. The spirit of God wants to well that up in us, especially right now. There's a tenderness in the season of fasting and praying where it's like God's gonna bring things and don't push it away. Oh God, I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm saved. No, like he brought that up because he wants more of your heart. Confess it, repent it, tell somebody else. There's deep things on the inside of me that I, I need God to heal. That's a daily process. This is how Christianity, this is how sanctification works. It's continual repentance, continual confession, a lifestyle of coming to him and being purified. The Holy Spirit is the agent of purification. He's bringing things up to purify you, not to shame you. So we confess and we repent. Now, Matthew 6, 14 says this, and Jesus is, is building upon what he had just said in, the, in um, the Lord's Prayer. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let that one sink in. It's not a light text. In fact, the children in Sunday school have been memorizing this text. They were singing it to me, my kids, the other day. But if you do not forgive others their sin, your father will not forgive you. That was my best chance, my best try. But that is the jingle, right? And they're singing it, and I'm talking to my girls. I'm saying, what do you think about when you sing this jovial song that's really kind of heavy? And they were like, my, my daughters are eight and six, and, I was talking, and they were like, yeah, it's kind of intense, Dad. It's a little scary to think about God won't forgive me if I don't forgive other people. I said, yeah, it is. Adults feel the same way. And then my eight-year-old daughter, Fern, came and said this to me. I'll never forget it. She said, you know what's even more terrifying? And she said this verbatim. She said, I have wicked thoughts about all the people in this house. She's talking about my house, right, that I live in. Now that's scary. She said, I have wicked thoughts about them. And so I thought, Fern, that is so real. Like, that is, that, that is why the practice of forgiving one another is not, like, is a daily activity. Because how many of you know, just, my eight-year-old is not the only people, person that has wicked thoughts about her family members, probably including me. You have wicked thoughts about people in your apartment, in your house. You might have wicked thoughts about your neighbor sitting right left of you or right of you. This is the human condition, how, and now you're like, oh boy, but how important is it that we forgive one another that we may be forgiven by him? He gave you the power to forgive. He, he gave you the grace to forgive. And so you have a responsibility to give it away to others. And don't you dare hold it over their head or you'll find yourself in prison. You'll find yourself not forgiven. It's so, it's so important. And we look over this stuff and I just think we don't recognize what Jesus himself is saying to us. Forgive. In this season of prayer, there's going to be people that come up 
You need to go to those people. You need to confess to them. You need to get right with them that your prayers may be powerful, may be effective, may, may be pure, and may, may come before the Lord. Worship team, if you guys could come on up. We're about to land the plane. I know we're at 1.30 here. Oh, man. So the very last part, lead us, God. He says, God says, lead us not, or Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the model for us to pray. How many know there is evil? There is an evil one that would try to come and tempt, that would try to come and destroy and tear down. And in our prayers, it's so important that we acknowledge that we were born into a war, that the enemy wants to eat our breakfast, but Christ has come that we may have life and life abundant. I love corporate prayer. For Part of it is when you're praying kind of like, oh, Lord, help me. Like, things are terrible. But then all of a sudden somebody comes in and they start praying with authority. You know what I'm saying? They start praying and they're like, God, we come against, we bind every form of darkness, every bit of deception. We come against everything that would come against your people. When they start praying that way, it changes how you pray. It changes how you think. You're like, yes. That's right. I am an overcomer in Christ. God has crushed Satan under his feet. That's right. Jesus did come to destroy the works of the enemy, and now he's given this ministry unto me. And so when we pray, there is something about praying against darkness and wickedness and asking God to free us from every form and every attack and every bondage. And I want to tell you, some of you are here in this community, and you're, you're going to help others here get free. You're going to help others because you're going to pray in accordance to the, to the Lord's prayer. And you're going to pray specifically for deliverance and for healing. And where Christ went, right, deliverance and healing followed because the kingdom of God was at hand. And guess what? It's still at hand. It's still here. And it's advancing rapidly all throughout the earth. And it's advancing right here in this city. If, everybody, if you could stand for me, please. I want to close by just, by just praying the Lord's Prayer over us this morning. I want to pray this prayer, and I pray that it would get in your bones. I pray that it would get in your mind. I pray it would get in your heart. I pray that this would become your normal way of prayer. This is a model. It's, a, it's an introduction into more. It's a starting point. So for some of you, you may be having a hard time in this season. Like, I'm giving more time to pray, but how, how do I do it? Use this prayer as your model. Begin and work through this prayer and let the Lord, let the Holy Spirit guide you. Let him take you to the places he's going to take you. So let's pray. God, we thank you that you are our Father. We thank you this morning. We want to know you as our Father, and we acknowledge in our prayers, God, you are our Father who provides and who cares for our every need. God, we acknowledge that your name is holy. Hallowed and holy is your name. You are holy and set apart. God, we ask, Lord, that your kingdom would come to this city. Let your kingdom come in our lives. Lord, let your kingdom come in every industry, in every, in every company, in every place that you would place us in this city, Lord. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we pray that you would meet every need that we have, every provide everything that we need for life and godliness. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us from our sins and our debts. We pray you would strengthen us to forgive others, to forgive our neighbors, our sisters, to walk with the measure of forgiveness that you have given us. And God, we pray that you would deliver us from all evil. God, deliver your people from all evil, from all oppression of darkness. Lord, your blood speaks a better word. Your power is accessible to heal and deliver and to save. So we thank you, Father. 
We thank you. We say yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power and yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen. So if the ministry team could come on up, we're going to go, we're going to close here in, in worship. And I have three specific things I would like to call people up to. You can come up here for any reason if you like to receive prayer. We'd love to pray with you. But three things I felt the Lord highlighted to me. For some people today, you're going to be, it's going to change the way you pray in a significant way. You're going to begin to pray as if God is your father, which he is, and if you are a son and daughter. It's going to shift your entire culture of prayer in your life. And so if that's you, we'd like you to come up and we, we want to pray for you. There's others. Your, your prayer life is about to flip upside down. You've prayed the second part of the Lord's Prayer. You prayed, God, meet my daily needs. God, help me. You're in a tough situation, right? Like, things are just crazy they're, they're daily. Even, even if you have enough, right, you just feel you're, you're surviving. And the Lord's saying, would you flip your prayer upside down? Would you begin with my Father? Would you begin with come? Come, Holy Spirit. Would you begin with your kingdom come, your will be done, and follow that with your needs. So some of you, you your prayer life's going to flip upside down today. It's going to be a transformational. It's going to deliver you from unhealthy introspection and selfishness. And the last group, you've, been, you've prayed defensively, right? For some of the same reasons. You feel harassed. You're in, you're in trying situations, right? Your work's tough. Your family's tough. The, the things in your life are not easy. And so you're just saying, God, get me through. God, I'm just throwing up Hail Mary prayers. But the Lord wants you to pray on the offense. He wants you to pray in accordance with his kingdom. He, he's shifting your mentality to bring him in, to not be trying on your own strength, but to say, God, your kingdom come. God, your will be done. God, deliver me. God, help me. God, I know you can move in power. Come and move in my midst. And you're going to, some of you that feel the weakest, you, you feel the most defensive right now. You're going to come with the most authority because it's not really about how you feel. It's about submitting to his will, to his purposes, to his ways, to his plans. And so if any of those relate to you, we're just going to, we're going to close right now. I know it's 1.30. If you got to go, feel free to go. But please come up. We'd love to pray with you. Also, if you don't know Christ, right? And you're just like, I don't even know how to pray. I don't even know how to connect with God. I don't even know God. We would love to pray with you. Just come and share. Um, share where you're at with one of our prayer team members, and we will pray with you. God bless you. If you got to go, feel free to go. And please come up. We'd love to pray with you. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.